welcome to Marvellous Pod. I'm Laura and I'm joined by my co-host Abby. Hello Abby. Hello. After the success of the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special, we've decided to once again release the Abby. Yes. Tonight, <laughs> tonight she'll be sharing with me her thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 and 2. Abby. Yes. What is it that you love about the Guardians? <sighs> There's not much I don't love about the Guardians. I... Well, that's a quick answer. Yeah. Good. So, <laughs> Moving on. Please expand. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's that when we meet them, they're not good people, by and large. Mm-hmm. They've all got things going on. They've all got pre-existing issues and foes and problems. And I don't know if it's particularly specifically the characters so much as the writing, the way that they come together, the way that they affect each other. Um, mm-hmm. And the way that they work together. I think that's the thing, you know, I love I love a competent team. And there's a lot of individual competency and collective competency in this group. And they all kind of compensate for each other's worst attributes. Mm-hmm. And I just, I really enjoy seeing them do doing their best to be this kind of team I suppose you know it's not like they particularly ask to be thrown together but as they are and kind of you you have such a sense of time um over the two films you I don't know it's just a dynamic that I don't feel I've really seen in uh, in other areas of the Marvel universe Mm. I think it's right they are the perfect team aren't they where they have well not perfect mess but um <laughs> what i do like is the fact that they are all so different and mm. bring different skills and so there's that kind of homogenous approach um, yeah but yeah i think it works well and there's a, there's a mix of kind of born this way powers and um, made this way powers and psychological issues and really deep dark terrible origin stories that you're never you're mm. not really told in any great um consistent detail you know everyone has everyone's got issues in this team and that's another thing that just makes them work better together because they they all know that they can all be there in the moment you know Mm -hmm. they can all focus on getting things done and yeah I think they all have their own arcs as well in uh, in both films particularly in the second one I think there's there's a real sense of character development and change that sometimes I really struggle to see in some of the other, um, in the other, I don't know, parts of the stable in this franchise. <laughs> okay. I am not obviously going to mention the fact it's difficult to notice the arcs, but you don't remember. Well, I'm going to say there's a reason I don't from. remember the films. <laughs> <laughs> like, like there's just feels like there's less to remember sometimes, you know? It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's real story. Yeah, there's a lot of individual stories, whereas I think some of the other people's stories are <sighs> broader strokes, perhaps. Mm. Maybe. I do really like the way that Gunn balances the the different tones. He says it can go from incredibly wacky to incredibly heartfelt, and it doesn't feel jarring. It all feels mm. part of the whole. Yeah, you're never kind of without those things, and sometimes the silliness and exasperation and the comedy of it all is only you can only go that deep into it because you've got the gravitas of mm. you know what's what's really going on in some of these things i think uh, 
I think that's what lets it work really well. I also think these films, particularly again the second one, have so many good sequences. It's not all sort of leading to one grand confrontation. You know, there is mm. a grand confrontation, but there are a lot of great set pieces all the way through. Um, I think there are quite a few in the first film as well. It's it's a different pace. It's a different style of of blockbuster. You know, mm. and we'll talk about music as well. I mean, the music is another thing that I love about these. Not necessarily because I love the music, but it is really differentiated from other types of films like this. So it's the it's the whole package. Mm. I think the way they're put together, the way they're structured, and the fact that I can remember everything that happens at least in the second one. <laughs> so let's dive in. Guards of the Galaxy Volume One. Mm. Tell me about it. Yeah. I I did come to this a little bit late, actually. Um, I didn't see it in the cinema. Uh, I was kind of vaguely aware of it. People talked about music and people talked about, um, you know, saving the world with a dance-off and that it was genuinely quite funny. Um, I think there was a, a fair bit of, you know, people are painted blue and doing the thing with the whiz bit, you know. There were some elements. There was some stuff. There was, how does this tie into the wider Marvel picture? Mm-hmm. Um I think that when I was watching it for the first time, the scene that I really loved was the scene in, in the prison where everybody kind of comes together mm-hmm. for the first time. And I think it's Rocket and Groot's friendship mm-hmm. that I also particularly love. You you kind of come in halfway into everybody's story, but Rocket and Groot have this sort of really odd raccoon tree dynamic. You know how it is. And- <laughs> Don't call him a raccoon. <laughs> Yeah, trash panda. Um, it's just this this really strange dynamic that um, the first film really makes the most of. Like it, it has emotional weight and heart, and it doesn't seem weird by the end that you are crying because there is a tree making a beautiful cave with lights and saving everyone from being exploded. It it does this huge amount of stuff, but it moves quickly. It moves lightly. It does make me cry every time, but you move so fast through, particularly the big kind of weird group sequence, into mm. comedy dance-off, and, and it all still makes sense, and you still got Rocket crying in a corner at the end, which is just one of the sad... I mean, it's, the other thing is, I have always, for my whole life, had this thing about raccoons. Like, raccoons are my animal. <laughs> love raccoons. They're tiny chaos creatures with really strong hands, and they love eating stuff that's bigger than their heads, and, like, I just... It makes me so happy that... <laughs> Instagram has so much raccoon-based content. And so I knew of Pumpkin the Raccoon on who was the model for Rocket um, way before I knew about Guardians or Rocket. And um, I was I was a fond follower of Pumpkin back back in those days when Pumpkin was still with us. And uh, it's just... I keep forgetting that it's CGI. I keep forgetting <laughs> that this is... I just accept Rocket and... That's quite hard to do, I think. You know, I'm so comfortable with the fact that here is this talking raccoon. We mentioned this before, but somehow voiced by Bradley Cooper. I can't. I mean, it isn't. It clearly can't be. Right? Yeah, even when you see the footage of him actually doing it alongside the footage. It's not. It's it's a lie. It's clearly not. It's clearly not. So, I mean, there's that as well. On top of all of it, they've they've told us it's Bradley Cooper just to try and like get away from the fact that they clearly James Gunn has <laughs> this incredibly talented raccoon in his life who's agreed <laughs> to perform. And we are fortunate to be sharing the world with him. So, yeah, anyway, so love the raccoon. 
Um, yeah, I, I do yeah. think Rocket. I think Rocket might be my favorite Guardian. Yeah, yeah, I, I think. think. So. As you said, I have to constantly remind myself that he is not real. And uh, just and I don't yeah. because I just buy into it. But now and again, I do have to kind of go. Yeah, he's pixels. Yeah, and it just doesn't. Uh, yeah, the characterization, the the gestures, everything about him is just so spot on. The eye lines with the characters, the structure and the way it's done. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I love the detail of watching them make it. And you've got kind of Sean Gunn standing in as in the right eye mm-hmm. line and stuff. And I just I think that's really funny. I think it's really clever. Um, I, th- I think it's quite funny to sort of come at it and be like, yeah, it's, it's the raccoon that sold me when, you know, I think especially it being a Marvel film, you're probably supposed to be more in some of the... Um, other more franchise dependent mm-hmm. characters like um, Gamora and Peter and so on, but but no, it's it's Rocket for me. Um, I also think Groot's really well done, given that he says all of three words again. But yet you've got this huge rapport and bringing uh, so much language and character to that. And it's great fun. Um, I, I I think we probably need to address uh, Chris Pratt briefly mm-hmm. because back then. It was a different time for Chris Pratt and there was, you know, Anna Faris and her podcast and it was all just lovely mm-hmm. and good fun. And, you know, times have changed as, and, uh, you know, it, it, he's less fun as a as a human than I'd hoped he was going to be. But also as an actor. <laughs> well, I, th- I think he's well, fantastic in these two films. That's, and yes. And in the, so the holiday special. Yeah. And he, yeah. Uh, We'll go into yeah. the, the second film in a minute, but but that's the one I watched most recently, and he's so expressive and 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 I really I, I'm really on board with him. I'm I'm buying into everything about that character, and then I think so. How the hell are you so wooden in other mm. films like the Tomorrow War and the Jas- Jurassic World franchise? Oh, just, the Jurassic World franchise. Just how? He, yeah, are you even he's the same like person? A puppet. Yeah. It's like a charisma vacuum, mm. and he has so much charisma in these films, and as we know from Parks and Rec and that, so it's mm. not like it's a one-off. No, I, but, I think yeah. I think a lot of it is is the writing, and if you like the mm-hmm. handling, and I think I think with films, with some of the Marvel films, I think there is a fair amount of of handling of tone and and actors, and mm-hmm. having a cast that works well together, and I think there's clearly a dynamic here. Between mm. the collective of people, you know, someone like Michael Rooker, I think, who just seems to be a, a man constructed solely of charisma. Um, I, I think everything sort of emphasises the parts of Chris Pratt that you need to make Starlog work. And, mm-hmm. and I think I developed a very strong fondness for the character at a time where Chris Pratt did not dissuade this with his general yeah. existence. And um, I think mostly I'm just sad that you know that it all just went so wrong because I was really enjoying that podcast. Those were, those were really different times. Anyway, um, I like Starlord. He's not he's not a good guy. He's not a nice guy. You're not supposed to want to hang out with him in the first film, mm-hmm. particularly. And the film doesn't really want you to hang out with him particularly. The film is just like, well, he's here and he's having a great time. Um, but I I don't think it thinks as I don't think the franchise thinks of much as much of Star Lord as people assumed it did, perhaps. Mm. Um and in what way? 
I think he looks like a leading man. I think he behaves like people want a leading man to behave. But I think that the films are always nudging him to be better. I think they're aware that he has a long way to go. And I think mm. that's one of the things that I liked about the holiday, holiday special was that you, there was real evidence of kind of growth and change mm -hmm. and the benefit of feeling secure and part of a family and not being an ass. Mm. And I think being around somebody like Rocket, who is much more outwardly damaged and damaging. Mm -hmm. And I think just all of these things move Peter forwards. And why would you do that if your leading man had entered the franchise ready formed to be marketed and sold? I, I think yeah. that there was a real assumption that Gamora should obviously, like we would just be waiting for her to fall in love with him because mm -hmm. obviously he's so great. And and I think the film has more to say about that. Mm. I mean, he is the central, he has been positioned as the central character in these two films. Yeah, and particularly the second one, I mm. think. I think the first one he's sort of, there's there's a lot he doesn't understand about himself in the second one. Mm -hmm. Um so it's you know, he 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 saves it in what could potentially have been um a more sacrificial act than it actually is. Mm. Um But I think I think there's enough of everyone in these as well. Yes, he is he is probably the centre and, and the focal point. Everyone has scenes with him and so on, but there's a lot of rocket. <laughs> there's a lot of other things I think, I think it's interesting also thinking about the the writing and the directing with his character because mm. I I am on board with his character in these two films I am not on board with his character in Infinity War I can't remember Infinity War and again I think that shows something I think when James Gunn doesn't write The Guardians I don't see the same team I don't no, see the same, same acting with, um, uh, the beginning of Thunder as yeah. well. I, I was glad it was brief. Feel right. No. Yeah, yeah. Just it just didn't feel right. There was something that was off. And I think I was just so pleased to see them mm. that I didn't really think about it too much. And I felt like at the time I was quite warm about it. But but yeah, when when James Gunn is not involved with them, there is something missing. And I think that that's one of those things that that when we talk about those things, I can't really separate him from what I like about this. And mm. I think that's kind of important as well. Um, we'll say I've, I've read um, quite a few more of these sort of adventures of Star-Lord in different comics. Like he's um, got an arc with Captain Marvel, quite um, closely linked in, in some of the Captain Marvel stuff um, and quite a few other bits and pieces. And I did sort of have a phase of going and following through those. And what I do like is that all those elements of of that character are there. But he is more of a glue. He He's not for me. Um, always this kind of iconic central leading character and I think it mm. is a different you know he he has power but he doesn't have powers mm. and I think that makes him a bit different from some of the others as well mm. so yeah basically I, I know a lot of people were very put off by style and I can understand that you know I don't have to deal with <laughs> men as much as some people um so i can i can understand why why you'd be put off but again just to emphasize i don't think the film thinks that he is ready mm -hmm. and i like that i like films that are about becoming um without necessarily being an origin story either that's that's the other thing this is nobody's 
beginning. And that's also quite refreshing. Mm. Like you come in as they meet each other. So you're meeting them, they're meeting each other. It's the Guardian's origin, not any of these individual characters. And that kind yeah. of makes you one of them in a way as well as the viewer in the first one. It's really interesting, it's not to pitch Marvel versus DC, but you know, one of the big criticisms of the first attempt at a DCEU was that they didn't go the route that Marvel did of having the individual intro films and then the the team up. They went very quickly mm. into Justice League and all of the complications around that. But that's what we've got here, but it works. Yeah, I mean, this it, this feels almost more like The Breakfast Club. It's like you've got this really desperate group of people who just have to get through this thing together. And the way that they're going to find to do it is a way that only this group of people can. Mm. Um, I also like that it's not kind of too exclusive, like that there's not a sort of hardcore core of Guardians. Um, I think sometimes these things can get a bit too um, defined. And I think the Guardians are mm. quite loose. You know, you've got sort of peripheral characters um or someone like Craglin for example plays these really Mm -hmm. important parts um but is you know technically sort of over there but you know coming into it when Mantis comes in in the second film Mm -hmm. it because you've seen how quickly they've been able to band together already it doesn't feel strange when someone else is able to get into that space it's just a bit more fluid than some of the other kind of team-based things like it doesn't overdo you're here and you're here and you're there it it doesn't you know nebula kind of comes in and out depending on what she needs um i think i I like that Uh, you know that kind of goes for all of them it 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 doesn't depend on any one character being there for it to necessarily be guardians of the galaxy everyone can do Mm. there's at least one person who can do kind of everything that needs to be done for example like yeah. both Peter and Rocket can fly the thing. Craglin can yeah. fly the thing. Um, you know. As it'll be interesting to see as we are missing one with Gamora. Yeah. That's, yeah. And uh, again, given that I find bits of uh, Infinity War difficult to keep in my head, I am going to have to go and watch that again to see what James <laughs> Gunn has been stuck with for uh, for the third mm-hmm. one. So, so, yeah. I look forward to finding out. But yeah, I think, so. so with the first one, I, I watched it. I thought, actually, that was quite good fun. It had Ned the Pie Maker in it, who has a name that's not Ned the Pie Maker. What's Lee his name? Pace. Of course. Lee of Pace. course it's Lee Pace, because I love Lee Pace. Walk and Catch Fire, and also Foundation. Mm. I, yeah, so, I didn't know Lee Pace before. He was just the man under the makeup in, as Ronan, and Ronan is an incredibly boring villain. <laughs> this is a film with a massive Marvel villain problem. Um... <laughs> And then last year, was it last year Foundation came Yeah, out? it was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so then I watched Foundation. I was like, oh, oh my God, this guy is amazing. Isn't he, though? And <gasps> gorgeous. Absolutely. And you think, I'm sorry, you took this man and you buried him in makeup mm-hmm. and you gave him really boring lines and made and just made him a zealot, so therefore you don't really need to give him much, much backstory because, well, he's a zealot mm. and that just answers all of his motivations. And then you see him being the um, emperor, is that right? He's yeah. Emperor, isn't he? In Foundation. Like, yeah. And he's just, he's so calculating and... Oh, and so much. And deep and so many layers and 
gorgeous again, as I mm. may have mentioned before. And you just think, oh, this could have been such an interesting villain. Yeah. And an interesting villain for Peter and the Guardians to play off. You know, if you did have someone who was more intelligent and talkative. and Someone who would have joined know, in the dance-off. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> would have shocked them by doing Do you know? Yeah. Uh, so that that was unfortunate. I loved the dance off. I loved that as being the the way that they they saved the uh, the galaxy. Um, and the other thing I liked with this being very into my connectivity was that this. I think this was the first use of the term Infinity Stone. Ooh. Yeah. I think we'd seen them before, so we'd seen the space, the mind, and the Reality Stone in previous films. But this, I think, this is the first time we get the explanation when they go to see the collector and um, he opens up the stone and then he explains what these are, where they come from and everything. I remember that, you know, that being very exciting. And I remember that being a lot of the main conversation around it was Mm -hmm. all these stones. And I was just like, ah, of all the parts of the film, did you see the raccoon note? (laughs) (laughs) You know? Um, So, so yeah, it's, uh, I can't remember, thinking of Lee Pace, I can't remember if I'd seen Halt and Catch Fire before this or not but I mean that is a, a wonderful series in which he is just stunning so again just really mm. disappointing to see him kind of being blue and insipid and if you compare Ronan to I was just going to say Christian Bale in uh, Love and Thunder mm. who has a, a similar role I almost feel like Ronan has become a bit of a cautionary tale for yeah. the Marvel Universe like let's not yeah. do that again you learnt the lesson mm. now the good thing is because he's buried under all of that makeup he could come back as a different character. Could. Whether he'd want to. Rare. Because he wouldn't be recognisable. I, I feel like people knew it was him. I don't know. I don't know if it was... My timeline for the kind of early 2010s is, is really bad, to be honest. <laughs> like, I can't remember how far it was from Pushing Daisies, which in, in my mind was enormous and everyone had seen it. Mm. But now I haven't yeah, I seen it. it since then. I should really watch that again and see just how weird it was. I remember it being terribly weird. Um, but again, he was the standout thing in it. So yeah, this is the other thing. I had expected him to be the thing I was most interested in in Guardians 1, and, and mm. it wasn't. I barely mm. remembered much about him and, and that's for me is is the part where Guardians 1 just doesn't have for me what Guardians 2 has because there mm-hmm. are parts of Guardians 1 that I can't quite remember and don't quite care about and that's fairly Marvel standard for me yeah I I do enjoy it I've seen it a number of times but I think the fact that between that film and Guardians 2 they actually become the family hmm because I don't think you've really got that yet because they're still sort of... It's forming. it's not been long. It's nearly real time, a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. So by the time we see them for the intro to volume two, mm. they're already in this kind of family, fan family dynamic. Um, and it really helps that we've got the baby group there because it's that kind of them all coming together to look after the baby. So shall we move on to volume two? Shall we move on to volume two? Volume 2, which is in my top 10 greatest films of all time, and fairly high as well, maybe 6 in my top 10 greatest Mm -hmm. films of all time, and it's been there a while. I think it is one of the best written, best scripted, best structured pieces of storytelling I have ever seen in my life. I think it is perfectly made. Perfectly. 
I think it is a masterpiece by James Gunn and I just don't think it gets enough credit sometime. Why do you think that is? Why doesn't it get enough credit? Or mm. <sighs> Both. People will say things like it has massive plot holes in it. They can't tell me what they are, but they'll tell, tell me this has plot holes. It doesn't. This is absolutely watertight, I think. I mean, tweet me if you think <laughs> you have plot holes for this. I'm pretty sure you don't. There are so many storylines, details, arcs. Everybody is the protagonist in their own story in this film. Whether it's a bit part or a central character, everybody is in their own forefront here and doing their own thing. And all the plates spin. None of them fall down. It's really well paced. It's got so many great sequences in it. The music is ridiculous. It's so good. Um, and it's a brilliant story. It is a, a story, I will, I will say, there's quite a lot of personal resonance in the, the story for my wife when it comes to uh, father complexes, let's say. And we it happened to come out at a particularly complicated time and we saw it eight times in the cinema in a fortnight and it was wonderful. We, we felt pretty certain that it had been made for us. I think probably the weirdest time we saw it in the cinema was um, we went at 10 in the morning one day to our local cinema. And it was just us and two parents with their small child. And we were like, oh, great. Someone has brought their small child to see this film. And all the way through, this child was just going, daddy, daddy. And we were like, what? Like, <laughs> Anyway, by the evening, there were lots of pictures of Chris Pratt and Anna Faris outside the cinema. And it turned out that, in fact, they put on a special showing of Guardians 2 that we had somehow gone to. <laughs> and they'd opened the cinema early and, like, had listed it. Because that's what happens when you kind of put a film on to show and we had gone to see the film with Chris Pratt and Anna Faris and his child. Oh my god. So that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the weirdest things that happened during that but it was that kind of thing that made me think that it was because they were over here they were filming um Avengers Infinity mm -hmm. I don't know one of those films because that's made uh -huh. around where I live and so it all sort of felt a bit like extra like Marvel has actually just kind of come through and been like, do you know what? You really need something right now. Because we did at that period of time. So Guardians 2 came at the right time. But I have revisited it thoroughly. Many times. We watch it a lot. I watch it. I have it on a lot. I've watched it with James Gunn's commentary a lot. And I just can't find any problems with it. At all. I can't find a flaw. So. <sighs> you, rec you recently revisited this for this podcast, I Laura. Did. I did. Please tell me your feelings and, and your journey with Guardians 2. Yeah, it really does um, hold up because I was a bit concerned. Cause I'm not. I've actually not revisited a lot of the older Marvel mm. um, for a while, just because so many other films to watch. Um, but yeah, I thought I remember quite liking this, but you know, probably, well, and it surprised me at how good it still it's was, not good. <laughs> um, even after multiple rewatches. Mm. So, and. It is the fact that between the two films, they have now become this family. I love the opening with the big multidimensional monster <laughs> and the, the fact that that, which would normally be a, you know, I don't know, the climax of a film, mm. is just the background for us watching Baby Groot dance. <laughs> and I love the interactions between all of the characters and Baby Groot, where they, they mm. really do treat him as a baby. Um, and, you know, Gamora is, hi, 
when she's fighting the monster <laughs> and, and the way they hold uh, carry him on their shoulders and everything. It's um it's unbelievably cute. Um and the fact he's so angry. This <laughs> <laughs> is um, tiny chaos twig. Yes, yes. furious twig. Perfectly. Um um, it's incredibly emotional, the second one. It is. Every single time I've watched it. So I think I probably must have watched this one now. And I probably saw it in the cinema, not eight times, oh. or with any of the stars. Alas. Um, n- well, not knowingly. <laughs> uh, so I think this might, might have been a two or three visit. Mm. And every single time I've watched it, I've cried at the end. Oh. And I don't cry at the first one. No. But the second one, it's... The st- there's the whole thing. It's when the fireworks start going off and how excited Craglin is, mm. and the whole rocket seeing himself in Yondu. And as you said, he didn't chase them away, even though he yelled at them and he was mean and he stole batteries <laughs> he didn't need. And it's perfect. Just, yeah, it's a I perfect know, I'm just line. Crying and then thinking, ah, these are computer pixels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're gonna make you cry. It really does. Really does. Hello, raccoon. Um, and I think when I bought that one, I got the um, the extras and everything. Mm. And there's a fantastic um, breakdown of the scene where he's jumping, where Rocket's jumping through the trees. Mm. When, yes. Um, when Yondu's people, are, the ravagers are attacking. And they literally strip it back all the way through to Previs and, mm. and show you the different layers. And it's just amazing, you know, literally where they've got like a little, it's not even a puppet. It's like a raccoon soft toy on a stick where they're yeah. just jumping it around. Um, and it's just amazing that that is such a realistic character to me. Mm. And then you see it all stripped back. Um, I just think it, it's the perfect blend of the wacky humour, you know, such as that scene where you've got them all being propelled up into the air and then <laughs> propelled yes. down, and then we see a long, long shot of them, uh, a long distance shot of it's them so going silly. Up and down in different ways. <laughs> it's so silly. And then you have so much emotion mm. um, with oh, everything going, you know, on with, I was saying about Chris Pratt, when he sees eternity, mm. we don't, we can't even see his eyes because they're all clouded over the stars mm. and everything. But just the work he's doing with his face is mm. so compelling. Um, and it just, yeah, it just makes me really annoyed about the dinosaur films. Because I love yeah. Jurassic Park and oh, something went very wrong there. But it, it, um, there's yes, no, there's yes, nothing the like the same heart in in the dinosaur films. No, no. Um, and I really love his long jacket. It's mm. got the kind of yes. whoosh sleeves. Oh, I want that. It's a good jacket. I'm pretty sure you can get it. I have, and I was going to wear it today, but actually, I think it's with my summer clothes. I have the t-shirt that he has. The really blue one. Yes, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I also have the bag that he has as well. It's, it's a good time for merch. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think I think, and I mean maybe starting with Chris Pratt, he he is exceptional in this film, and you know it is Peter's journey. But I also really like how the film kind of plays on the extent to which this is Peter's journey versus a kind of world-threatening scenario mm-hmm. versus everybody else's own turning point in in different ways. You know, it's. I think the thing that this does in a way that I can't recall other films doing is it. everything is important for everyone for different reasons and different elements in the same story are important for different reasons. There are also multiple bad guys in this. Mm. 
which are handled with surprising for me um weight i suppose um mm-hmm. i now can't remember the golden people's name which the sovereign that's right yes she called aisha yes i, I think say so I'll say mm. so elizabeth to becky looking mm-hmm. fabulous and tall mm. and golden and also speaking of kind of long flowing looks mm-hmm. um just thinking wonderful throughout but i just i kind of love the way that that you know they are clearly doing their own thing they have their own projects going on they want mm-hmm. their batteries um all of things you know they're sort of a bit interested in the guardians everything there's no need to keep tying that thread through i mean mm-hmm. i i understand that um in terms of the overall story that was going to be told i think originally they were going to try and do adam and this story as well and i'm really glad that they didn't um but you could take a couple of threads out and you would have a fairly standard Marvel story, you know. Um, mm. But this film doesn't. It keeps it keeps all those threads in. It's a proper tapestry film and everything has to be... Everything holds everything else up. And as soon as you start taking something out, well, that won't work because this is then mm-hmm. missing that bit. So, yes, I think most people probably remember Peter's story and obviously Kurt Russell is in this film, so you're going to remember him. There's no danger of overshadowing Kurt Russell in the film because that's you just can't. You could paint him blue and put a big cape on him and he'd still be the most memorable thing in the film. I think most people remember Peter's story and I think a lot of people kind of go, huh, well, is that that's the bit they're sort of thinking of. Because it's hard, even when you're watching it, to hold all the different stories at the same time. I think it's it's just too detailed to kind of do anything other than let it wash over you. I think that's why it works so well as well, because I do forget about the Sovereign storyline until they suddenly turn up again. And so it's this great kind of like, oh my God, yeah, that's still going on. Yeah. And it all makes perfect sense. Yeah, and, and you need them there. And they are a continued presence in the story as well. Mm. It's not... Um, yeah, it's it's not too convenient either. Like they they turn mm. up when it's not convenient for the story too, um, yeah. which I think also makes it work. It's it's just got more than enough stuff, more than enough. Thereby, you are watching something that is more complicated than I think most people. Yeah, remember when they talk about it. So I think that's possibly also why it doesn't get that much credit. I think it can also because you're not necessarily remembering all the threads at any one point in time, especially at first. If you haven't watched it 47,000 times. Um, <laughs> but it joins up spectacularly well. It joins up with the other films. It it all comes together without beating you over the head with it. Um, so yeah, it, it looks like it's Peter's story, but I, I don't think by and large most of this is. It is mm. one of the stories. It's, I think the sequence where Peter realises what's going on and as Kurt Russell, you know, goes from playing ball with him to explaining why he uh, had to do away with Peter's mother. I, th- mm. I think Chris Pratt does so. That's the point where he does so little, but just kind of you can just feel this mm. enormous energy and um, fury. And I think that's that's a spectacular bit of acting. It's a lot of good Chris Pratt acting in this because it's a great story mm. to tell, and it must be nice for an actor as well to kind of have this huge individual piece of storytelling to do 
So, I mean, I'd like to kind of talk about one of the other kind of massive pieces of storytelling in here, which, again, I think has two people really getting to chew on making the most of that, and that's Gamora and Nebula. Mm. And I I think that's probably the storyline that I was least interested in to start with. But the more I watch it, the better I realise it is. And the more, and you know, I suppose having seen that play out less well and having seen them be written less well, I really appreciate now how well written I think some of those scenes are. And that kind of, you know, saving each other, not saving each other, trying to kill each other, trying to save each other. It's And it's not annoying. <laughs> they're just, I think they're just wonderful. And, yeah. um, and Nebula has a really good reason yeah. for hating Gamora. Definitely. It's not just sibling rivalry or no. dad liked you more or what have you. <laughs> she was literally pulled apart. And Gamora has a good reason for giving her all to the fights when they were pitched against each other by Thanos. Yeah. She was just trying to survive. Exactly. Exactly. And and I think it's it's such a horrific story as well. Mm. Um, and again, I think time has, has um, perhaps made me kind of see a bit more weight in that than usual. And just having seen all the other films that have come out since mm. this did, but that it's a real horror story. It's a proper abusive mm. horror story, which this film never makes fun of. And mm. it, I think I really like the way it handles this just grotesque stuff that's happened with Nebula. It's it's very sort of tender with her, I think. Mm. And, you know, but not... She's got stuff to do. She has vengeance to do. And that is just who she is and how it is. But it doesn't mean that she can't carry the it's not ripe yet joke. It it doesn't mean <laughs> she can't which is just such a perfectly played three beat joke. Mm-hmm. It's it's ideally scripted. It doesn't mean she can't capture that. It doesn't mean that she can't be in the team and, and in the gang because she's full of this kind of vengeance and so on. And I think that's one of the other things as well, is sometimes when characters have this kind of you know, I I must kill my father or revenge myself my mm-hmm. family whatever it it overbears the character so much that you can't imagine them functioning in a day-to-day way you can't imagine them getting to a position to be able to get the ship to do the thing that they need because they're just so mm-hmm. stricken with vengeance they must do the thing and it's just boring this is not boring this is a whole person who has mm-hmm. goals in life which are you know murderous and dramatic but also like a long-term strategy and she still needs to eat you know, still she's she's still she's still kind does of got she? the power to do things. I I think she does. I think to some extent she probably needs to. I mean, she definitely wants to eat the thing that isn't right. Yeah. Is it a radish? I don't know. It's a something root. Mm. I can't remember what it's called. But there's even the bits like like when she wants to power the spaceship at the end, which I hadn't mm. really thought about, and it puts her in tremendous pain. Yeah. And. She's willing to just kind of go through the things, you know, obviously mm-hmm. to she'd like to stay alive. Um, but still, it's just... I, I didn't even really notice that for the first 12 watches or something. And I was like, oh, that's, that's quite... That would be in another film. That would be the point of the film. There are so many things in this film that would be a point of another film. Mm-hmm. You know, Sylvester Stallone has cameos throughout. <laughs> yeah, which I'm really hoping is something we come back to. I haven't heard whether he's... Or any of the other mm. alternative ravagers are in 
in the new one, but I want that Michelle Yeoh team. Yes. Um, yes, I think we all uh, want that. I will also settle for the uh, the Sylvester Sloan team as well. Yeah. So, yeah, with Nebula, I I don't think I was that bothered by her in the first one, but definitely in the second one. And I'm not a fan of female characters being over-sexualised, but I love that she's this kind of seductive murder bot. <laughs> and she's got all of that, you know, she's got the hello boys. and I do love that. Yeah, you know, even before she's plugged into the, as you were saying, into mm. the ship to mm. be a parrot. She's like, I know, he says that Yondu says something about how painful it's going to be. And she says promises, promises, promises. And it's funny. It is, mm-hmm. it is funny. And I think and that's well balanced. I think it's also balanced with her look. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something I quite like about the Guardians. Is yes, all right, Gamora still has wedge heels, but maybe she likes them. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and her outfit is practical, very attractive, but it's practical, and it's not much as Widow's one of my favourite characters, mm. particularly Iron Man Two Widow. Mm. with the zip all the way down mm. to the navel practically you know <laughs> that was yeah it, it that and a shiny black outfit mm. whereas with this it feels like you know she looks fab but also looks like it's completely practical and she's worn it and she's fought in it and she's um it's what you decide to throw on if you are going to go and become a guardian of the galaxy and i think it's it's Interesting, there was almost a reverse conversation at the time around kind of why don't Gamora and Nebula get to be sexy in this way? And um, I think they're both sexy, it's just different. Well, they are blue and green, I suppose. And yeah. that's never really stopped people being attracted in things, my experience of watching things. But, um, but yeah, I, I just thought it was nice to see people having other concerns. And yet there is a love story in here again you know it's another thing that kind of puts peter in that leading man role but mm-hmm. also puts gamora in the leading woman mm-hmm. role i think and it i suppose rounds out her character somewhat mm-hmm. because she's by all understanding that we get she's not really kind of had that rounding experience particularly in the same way that nebula hasn't had a, a team experience mm. particularly i think they both get to you get the impression that gamora has been on a team before but less so with nebula yeah, maybe not yeah. one she wanted to be on not necessarily no but she certainly knows how to work with people mm-hmm. um, yeah. whereas nebula is kind of, it's very hard to kind of stop her from wanting to just go away and do her things because those are her mm. things to do it's fine but um but yeah i i think that they are both served well in by the whole dynamic of the whole film and that's also, again, contributes to the change that lets them change the relationship with each other. Like You can map all the factors that change their relationship with each other as well. It's not just that they go, oh, we're sisters. I mean, that is my least favourite thing. I I have a real problem with any film that comes down to, oh, well, we're family because we're blood-related or mm-hmm. share a parent, and that's that. And this one does not do that. It, it doesn't say, at the end of the day, we're sisters. It has them both learn and mm. change. And that I find very satisfying. Mm. And also, again, it, it sort of doubles down on that with Peter and his dad, Blood Relation, um, who he's quite happy to kill with a Pac-Man. Yeah. So. 
So, talking of which, at one stage, when he finds out that he has access to the light, Peter says, I'm going to make some weird shit. <laughs> if you can make anything with your access to the light, what would it be? It's a library. It's a massive library. Mm-hmm. And all the librarians are raccoons. Just raccoons or rocket raccoons? I don't, I don't know if I'd, I... I don't know if Rocket respects books as much as I need him to. I think he okay, might try but... and do things with them that I don't want him to do. Or steal the valuable ones, which I would want, because they'd be valuable and I want them. He'd try and sell them to nefarious book dealers who would spoil my okay. library. <laughs> so, if not actual Rocket, but I yeah. mean talking... Talking, ideally, because I, yeah. I do think they're good conversationalists, I think, mm-hmm. by and large. I don't think it's just Rocket, I reckon. Okay. Any augmented recruit. Obviously, I don't want them to all have the traumatic backstory. I like. I'd like yeah. a world in which they kind of opted into being talking. You know. Right. Right. Raccoons, because I. I mean, true. this is anything. So you mm-hmm. know, I want mm-hmm. raccoons who consented to kind of talking, who who live this way. Maybe we we'll bring them in from Narnia. It's fine. Um. But yeah, it's it's a library. It's a lot of coffee. Mm-hmm. Maybe a good brandy table. That's you know. That's I think I think that's probably what I'm going to make. You know. It's, yeah, it's a big library. It's big. How about you? What would you make? Um, I would make a Star Trek replicator. Wow. Which is my, I'm going to wish for three more wishes, basically. Mm. Um, but I'm going to be altruistic. I want one for every home, um, but with limits on them so people can't make weapons and things like that. So Otherwise, the thing that we need to remember here is that I'm not Matthew, and therefore I don't know what this is. So you're uh, going to have okay, to tell sorry. me. So the the replicator is basically just a machine that makes whatever you want. So they oh, cool. you see it most often when they're like having they don't have food in the normal way. Mm. They just walk up to a machine and say what they want, and it and they replicate it. food. Yeah, um, and it's anything you want, um, but also they use it for kind of everything. So uniforms and weapons when they need them and what have you. But so yeah, so just have it so. No one's hungry. And it's made from like, I don't know what it's made from, but you know, it's something that is abundant and we don't have to worry about Mm. using up too much. Environmentally Um, conscious. Yes. This is great. Oh, that's, oh, see, that's, that's, that and then probably something that whatever the hell the opposite is that can then take the stuff that's made that people don't need anymore and can turn it back into the raw ingredients. This is great. This is, and you know, we we are an environmentally conscious podcast. I think mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. Um, it's important to remember, and you know, I would say that a lot of the books are going to be rescue books in my library. So it's, yeah. it's more just some room to look after them all, so that no one will shred a book again. Um, well, this, see, this is nice. I mean, at no point are we going to probably. Well, you might save the world. You might solve a lot of world problems I think with I that. Just have. I'm unlikely to solve any world problems with that. Um, no, but you have talking raccoons, so I do. But it's why you're more but likely to get into that. the Guardians than me, which is which is. Yeah, I don't think I can replicate the talking raccoons with no, my, uh, with my replicator. I don't think I can do live things. No, that's probably just as well, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, but I think yeah. both of us have outdone Peter mm. and his Pac-Man. I think so. Although I I do like that it's Pac-Man, and I you know I love mm-hmm. that it kind of it makes the noise. <laughs> I remember noticing that in the first time where it's like it's doing the noise, and and I think it's it's little details like that. It's it would be so easy with and you have the power to do anything, make anything. Mm-hmm. It would be really easy for this to be much worse than it is. I think 
much much worse than it is and i think that it it somehow this film manages to retain a grasp over the fact that the planet or that kurt russell is made of planet you know mm-hmm. and i think it in a kind of pixely way it does really a really good job of looking at, at what it means to be a living planet mm-hmm. um structurally uh, and all of those sort of aspects of it. so i i think again it's another point where it could have just gone really wrong Mm. But it does keep tying all of all of the threads together. So one of the main guardians we've not spoken about is Drax. Yeah, we have not Any spoken thoughts? about Drax. Um, Drax is better in the first film than I'd remember when I rewatched it recently, and he does kind of arrive very sort of fully formed. And I think Drax in the second film, you kind of mostly get to see through this kind of awkward relationship with mantis and again it's, mm-hmm. it's something a lot of people talked about how you know the, all of the comments he makes to mantis are sort of inappropriate and um not particularly funny most of the time i don't I, I don't think that means that it shouldn't necessarily be in a film and i think that one thing that we saw again in, in the holiday thing is that we've moved through that and they're friends and that's nice and mm-hmm. you know it's not like mantis is massively socially adept person either having <laughs> grown up with with only a living planet for company yeah. um so i just i think again drax is that kind of example of a character that it's possible to have enormous empathy for as mantis literally does um whilst also again he's got a way to go and that is constantly demonstrated and i don't i don't think the film thinks anything other than that I, I think the film thinks that, that everyone has progress to make here mm. and I like that and I will be interested to see the continuing development of Drax and Mantis I also think that, that he's again one of those characters who does has has sort of um, intangible powers, you know, jump really high <laughs> it's a cool power mm-hmm. um, wild enthusiasm I think is probably my favourite thing about Drax I I think I kind of like to count that as a power that thing about Mm -hmm. the skin being just as thick on the inside as it is on the outside is just one of my favourite things in anything it's hilarious (laughs) but it's it's just that kind of reasoning that is perfectly plausible Mm -hmm. Um, I can can imagine saying just the same kind of thing myself I think that he brings a a really uh, significant dimension to the Guardians. There's, there's a lot of um, heart, a lot of conversation that you wouldn't necessarily have um, because he's there. But mm. he is more than just an in inverted commas the heart. You know, often the heart of a group is kind of dull. Yeah, kind of dull. You know, you wouldn't necessarily mm. want to hang out with them. Or and there's there's something very interesting about having the heart be sometimes the most abrasive and inappropriate person. Mm. I think that's quite interesting. It's also a great balance for. Um, for Rocket, it's also just it's always funny when they're in the same shot because they're such different sizes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Must be a nightmare trying to compose some of those shots. Yeah, and yet they're they're really beautifully done. And I think that's, that's another thing about Rocket. His scale is pretty consistent mm, for really for a CGI character. Um, mm. I think that's one of the things that helps it feel convincing. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. And I, I think having characters that are themselves such different sizes, you know, mm. having um, 
everybody who's in the Guardians together. They are a variety of human shapes and sizes. And that's quite nice. And Karen Gillan's really tall, mm. um, which people often don't necessarily let her be when she's in things, I feel. Or mm. maybe more so now, but I feel like sometimes she was a bit de-emphasised, and I don't think that's the mm. case. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, I think they're a great, great collection of people. And I think... Um, I also think uh, Drax is, has great acting parts, particularly in you know anything relating to his backstory. I think uh, mm. that kind of jumping between the two things. Also, the practical joke of "Can I pet your puppy?" It just, it's just yes, <laughs> no, <laughs> don't do that, don't do that to new people. <laughs> just those, the kind of ability to go from wild mirth and enthusiasm to sort of deep. Um, contemplative sadness so yeah all the things mm. I love all the things about Drax um, but particularly also uh, that we get to kind of have Drax and Mantis together I think they are mm. really developing something interesting um, and I love Mantis uh, she's mm-hmm. I, I hope that we'll get to see a great deal more of her um, I think that her story is really interesting again I, I hadn't really paid attention to her story the first I don't know five or six times I watched the film but the more I actually listened to the things that she said and thought about it and had time to think about that and coming back to it as well it's you know the fact that she's literally there to keep somebody asleep mm. just kind of maintenance you know she's almost staff but what we don't know in Guardians 2 unless you've read the comics is that she's also his daughter and she mm. is Peter's sibling she knows that or she suspects that um and it's, you know, once she realises sort of the horror unfolding, I think the fact that she's willing to kind of go over, if you like, to the Guardians, the fact that she can kind of shortcut things by touching people and really understanding them mm. in the way that she is willing to go straight over to the Guardians, I, I really like that. But yeah, how are your Drax and Mantis feelings? Um, they're not my favourites out of the, the group, which is why the holiday special didn't land as well for me I don't think um I do think they're entertaining I think as long as they're kept sort of as more side characters I'm curious as to what happens with the volume three because given the time that they were given in the holiday special I do wonder if we might see more of them I do think it's interesting that Drax has this tragic backstory Mm. that we touch on a couple of times but most of the time he's a comic relief so or one of the many comic reliefs. Um, and you know, sometimes I think he's hysterical. The whole Zargnat, I'm moving so slowly that it's imperceptible. Um, that I find very funny. A lot of the other stuff I don't find particularly funny with him. I mean, not to the point mm. where I'm sort of, you know, stony watching the film. Mm. It's just more kind of like, I'm not too bothered about this. Let's move on to something else. Um, and Mantis, I like. Um, I like the whole thing with her, with her empath. Mm. explaining that to the the characters uh, to the our main characters um and particularly gamora's reaction of touch me and it won't go well which uh, very much fits with her character and when she does make gamora feel scared later on i love that scene i think zoe saldana's fantastic in it Mm. you you get the sense that gamora has not let herself all had the capacity to feel true fear before probably so much fear in there that's Mm. buried so deep Mm. Um, yeah. Right, time check. Going well. Minutes. What else do you want to cover? The thing is, it's such a big film. 
Mm-hmm. And again, the more I think about it, the more I think about all the other things. I'd like to talk about Yondu briefly. Okay, cool. I think. Because, so, yeah. Uh, so one of the other key characters that we've not mentioned, there's an argument whether he's a member of the Guardians or not, Yondu, Mary Poppins himself. <laughs> I love that. I do love that. Um, and I suppose in a way, you know, Yondu is sort of the, he's a ravager. He's got kind of his thing going on. Um, and you could just as easily say, I think, really, that this is Yondu's film. Um, because we we get his kind of sort of darkness and uh, the idea that he's been cast out of the ravages for something. It, it turns out he tried to get away from anyway. Um, mm-hmm. You know, After he'd made a lot of money doing it, those were a yes. lot of skeletons we saw. Well, we don't know that he got all of them. I, I think the uh, suggestion is that there were, you know, he, Kurt Russell spent a while in mm. various forms doing that himself as well. And that's why we see all of those. Mm. You know, I don't think it was just him. But, but yeah, I, I, mostly I just can't imagine Yondu working quite that hard, honestly, to be responsible for all the scars. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, you know. He he has finally turned away from from that, and uh, I think you get the sense that he too wants to be a slightly better man. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the mutiny is is really well done, um, and you know there's there's an extent to which you know I've seen worse military films about mutinies. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's it's really quite beautiful, and the bit where kind of Craglin realizes that this is not what he meant and they killed all mm. his friends and you know there are people who have fairly significant parts in the first film that we see sailing off into space and that's yeah. it's it's pretty dark again i think dark. you know it's a 12 and you're seeing people sort of chucking chucking the rest of their um crewmates out into space to die it's, it's pretty dark yeah um and there, there are these as is the scene when Yondu escapes after a very amusing mm. uh, we're trying to get baby Groot to actually get the, uh, the thing. <laughs> yeah but then and it's a fantastically mm. entertaining mm. scene with the arrow and um the is it come a bit, little bit closer yeah i don't yeah. know the actual title of the that song. that is the title of the but, song and it's it's gorgeous the design of it and everything and it's very bright and mm. you've got the cheery song and everything but that is absolute carnage that's happening body count is enormous mm-hmm. and it's i i love that scene it's one of my favorite scenes in in almost anything i think it is brilliantly done but it is really dark it is really unpleasant and it takes these mutineers who we've seen you know being nasty to baby group but he was too adorable mm-hmm. to kill so you know that makes Absolutely. you think that they're not the worst mutineers but then again they did throw a lot of their crewmates out in space so mm, i don't know anyway it's it's a real choice yondi makes to off them all mm. and uh and then set fire to everything you know it's it's enough that rocket calls him a maniac and so you know it's yeah. got to be pretty but like rocket is pretty shocked and appalled by this yeah um but i think that you know Yondu knows these people and I think that there's a sense that you know it it was Yondu who went away from stealing children and making money and that's pretty much one of the reasons we're having this mutiny mm-hmm. is because these people are the kind of people who would rather carry on and do that and actually maybe Yondu thinks that we're better off without them um 
And then I think that the way that they're able to sort of turn it around for him, you know, that uh, they have, that he still has the Ravager funeral, that there is that um, opportunity for sacrifice. And I think it does build on, you know, the sequence in the first film. And I really, I really like how it's set up. So you can kind of see it coming again. It doesn't, it doesn't mess around. There's only, there's only going to be enough things for one person to make it through here. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like how it lets um, Yondu be the hero. I think mm-hmm. because the film also, I think, doesn't think that Yondu really deserves to live through it either. Yeah, and I think that's I mean- kind of what makes it okay. The, the line that I wasn't your father, but he may have been your father, but he wasn't your daddy. Yeah. It just, the delivery on that's fantastic. And again, I'm going to bang on about it, but Pratt's desperation. Yeah. When he realises what's happening. It lands. Yeah, it really does land. It's really deeply moving. The point, I, I, I did want to say one thing about the music, and I think that this is another thing which differentiates this to me from all the other Marvel films and their big soundtracks and even some of the great kind of you know like Ragnarok and so on they've got these great musical stings and so on but what I love about this film is that you've got the motif of the awesome mix in the Mm. first one and then you've got awesome mix volume two for the second one and I love that James Gunn has real intention behind all of these songs and these songs are not like what were the cool songs of the time these are the songs that a young woman really loved and wanted to pass on to her son. They're not the obvious choices. They are, I don't want to say that it's some kind of women's music or that women's music is not cool. I mean, you know that I wouldn't say that. Mm -hmm. But what I would say is that they are not the kind of grand iconic songs, nor are they the sort of weird John Lewis iconic songs. (laughs) It's just a kind of really sort of wholesome collection of things that you can imagine somebody having a personal connection with. And it's that, it's Peter's mum having a personal connection with this. So she gets to be really present in this whole film. And I think that it's her continuity by having these songs be something that feels to me reminiscent of a particular character. It means that Peter does get to have his mother, if you like, all the way through these films as well. And then by the end of it, of course, you get the Zoom grand technology 300 songs so we could just have anything in volume three my god it's just going to (laughs) be constant strings of music he thought had gone but um but i think that the fact that the music in this is not stuff that was necessarily cool or sort of fashionable um but warms my heart because of the film yeah although yeah i was surprised sort of seeing some of it there was um one of the songs was in gilmore girls and it was a whole like set piece and i was just like oh that's that kind of tracks for wow. <laughs> sort of what we're what we're working with her, but um, but yeah, I just I I think that's again it's a bold piece of storytelling, and there's no reason that that would necessarily have paid off. That must have been a reasonably big risk, some of that. Mm. Um, and yet because stylistically it's so consistent, so good, it all works. Mm. So I just kind of want to recognise that a lot bit, I think as well and I would say I think that uh, James Gunn's commentary is one of my favourite ones because there's just so many bits in it you know it's so well thought through and he's so generous with kind of explaining all of those things um, one of the other things I really quickly wanted to mention um, we talked a lot before about things that we like when we sort of see directors coming into Marvel and what we like them bringing with them 
And a thing that I really like about James Gunn is that he's an enormously cine literate and I like that he will do references to things, but he won't kind of overdo them. So there'll be lots of bits. And I think it's just thinking of the North by Northwest bit with the plane and Gamora. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I love those little touches, which are just a touch. It's not like the whole scene. It's not massively overdoing it. It's not so when you see it later on, you'll be like, oh, it's more like you go, oh, it's it's showing that you know what you're doing. You know, mm. you know cinema. In, in a wider sense, and I, I I enjoy that. So yeah. So volume three, mm. we're expecting hopefully on the fifth of May. Now I'm going to make this a bit difficult for you because <laughs> I've not seen the trailer, and I would rather know not know what's in the trailer. Mm-hmm. But what are you hoping for in volume three? Well, I will say one of the things that um, that James Gunn has always talked about with. Uh, with these films, one of the things that he's always talked about is um, that for him it's kind of really Rocket's story and Rocket's arc. So mm-hmm. I'm sincerely hoping to see more Rocket. And mm-hmm. I think that will be fine. I think he'll probably be in it. <laughs> I think he'll be in it. I'm, I'm concerned about who does and doesn't make it out of the film. I don't mm-hmm. think we know anything about that, but I, I would be very surprised if everyone comes out in one piece. I, I doubt that highly. Um, I don't know how much more we'll see the Guardians or any of them. I'm sure one or two will have more to do, but I think I would be quite surprised if if they tie back into the next phase in any way. Um, I think we'll, we'll get to see more of the dog from the holiday special. I think she's mm-hmm. kind of... Cosmo. Yeah, I think she's going to be a, a full part of the team. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be fun. Um, you know, there's... there's uh, Quite a lot to enjoy there. Uh, we've got the slightly older Groot that we met in the holiday mm-hmm. special. Seems quite good value. Swell Groot, yeah. Yeah, Swell Groot. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see how he develops, I think. Um, yeah, I I'm, I feel like he could get into trouble. And, and... He's just so happy. Yeah. I hope, I hope that carries through. I hope he's not too trusting. I'm worried about him. I just, you know, oh. and the, I hope he makes some more dioramas as well. Because um, <laughs> those were adorable. Um yeah, I think uh, Adam, we will probably see because that's that's mm-hmm. in the in the credits of Volume Two. And so I know they wanted to originally put Adam in with the Sovereign in Volume Two. I think that this is a storyline. Adam Warlock. Adam Warlock. Yes, I think. Who I think we believe is in the birthing pod at the end of. Um, I think we know he's in there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, so yeah, I I think we know that he's he's going to be in. Mm-hmm. third one um but what version of warlock we i don't think we do know i mean there are mm-hmm. a few stories there are a few options and i don't think anyone can particularly pretend to know if they're not involved in the making of this um what kind of warlock story we're getting so i'm quite excited about that and and again i i think that we know as well from james gunn that you know you can put anything you want in a trailer but that's not going to tell you a great deal about the film and i do like that and that is the reason i've seen the trailers um for this so we always have to think about marvel trailer lives so we do we do Mm -hmm. but uh, i feel like he's got a reasonable amount of control over what what is put out so yeah i think i I can't imagine i'm gonna like it more than guardians 2 as i say it had a lot of personal resonance as well but if it was even two-thirds as neat and tidy and well put together i would be very very happy i just hope i enjoy the ride how about you? What would you like to see in Guardians 3? Uh, Michelle Yeoh. 
Yeah, <laughs> this is true. And I'd be really happy I've to see her. I've not heard anything about her being cast, so I'm. I've not heard I'm anything says so she's not. But then That's we didn't true. know she was going to be in the last one either. Yeah, yeah. Or the Miley Cyrus head. Oh, I'd love to have Miley Cyrus head come back. That'd be great. But yeah, uh, I've not heard anything about that. I am very curious to see Will Coulter. Yeah. Only seen, I've only ever seen him in comedic roles. Yeah. So I'm quite interested to actually see him play a villain. I mean, it might be a comedic villain, but yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't, I, like I say, I don't think we know what we're getting, so it's going to be really no. interesting. Well, in fact, even if he's a villain, because I don't think Adam or was this, is it? Well, we, I just don't think we know. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know if we're getting Elizabeth Debicki back again. I thought... Like quite an important part. Yeah, I thought we were. I hope we are. Yeah, I hope we are. Yeah. I've heard very little about the casting on this, which, to be yeah. fair, I have been trying to hear less about casting. But um, been quieter yeah. as well. I think. I mean, there are we. There've been bits and pieces, but I think there's a lot of stuff that James Gunn's pur- purposefully avoided mm-hmm. confirming, denying, or discussing. Really. Yeah. So. No, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I just, I very much hope it is the Guardians that we saw back in volume. Two and then in the holiday special mm. versus what we saw at the beginning of Thor: Love and Thunder, which I'm pretty mm. sure it will be because of well, because it will be James writing them and not yeah, Taika. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. so so I think that's I I would hope for that. Um, yeah, and actually also as well, I think the thing that I I was quite pleased with in the holiday special the effects of the world on them. I again. I've said it enough in this podcast already. I love the growth and the change, and I, mm-hmm. I want more of that. I want to see who they can become because these are becoming some really significantly older characters now. And I, I think one of the things that I found difficult with the Avengers was that I didn't always feel that they had grown and changed in any ways that I found particularly interesting. And I mm-hmm. think that the Guardians could change in ways I find interesting. So I hope indeed that they do. Okay, we. Uh, at the end of the podcast, so I'm not going to go into Cap's <laughs> arc from loyal soldier through to enemy of the of the state. But anyway, <laughs> but you could, <laughs> I could. Let's just assume that. That's but a different pod. That's it for the Guardians on Marvelous Pod, at least for the moment. We will be back soon with Ant Man, Quantumania, which I'm very excited to see. Until then, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. Marvellous.